I've got my Bible open to Luke chapter 9. I hope you're getting your Bible open to Luke chapter 9. And uh, as we begin today, I cannot emphasize how important it is for you to be here tomorrow night at 6.30. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, tomorrow night's meeting starts at 6.30. Everybody do that. Say that. Now turn back to your neighbor and say, I will see you here. Good, good, good. Uh, Really, I'm telling you, you're going to be so encouraged that you are a part of a healthy, thriving, growing church. And we just want to celebrate that and get the word to you. We need you here. We want you here. Whether you're a member, whether you're first time, just come. Be be a part of what God is doing in Granger through Gospel City Church. I need you to be here for that. Now, as Michelle said, we're kicking off a new sermon series. We're still in the Gospel of Luke, still marching verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. We're in a new section now. If you've been around for the last few months, you realize the last sermon series was called, Who Do You Say I Am? That's the question that Jesus asked his disciples. One of them got the answer correct. You are the Christ of God. And once you know the answer to that question, that leads you to ask a question of Jesus. And here's the question. Jesus, who do you say I am? So if you know the answer to the first question, who Jesus is, you've got to ask him the question, who am I? What do you want to do in my life? What's my true identity? How do I live this out? And so the title of this series is called, Who Does Jesus Say That I Am? Now, how many of you know what a goat is? Do you know what a goat is? How many of you know what a goat is? Raise your hand if you know what a goat is. Now, if in your mind's eye right now, you are thinking of a small furry animal, that's not what I'm talking about. How many of you know what a goat is if it's not a small furry animal? How many, what, what is a goat? What do we call it? The greatest of all time. And we have goats in basketball, right? We have LeBron James, Christian Leitner. Christian Leitner? No, is there, is there another guy? Back in the 90s, was there a guy? Yeah, okay, so now we have division in the church because I brought the subject up, okay? And then, you know, you got football, you know, greatest quarterback of all time. I mean, you get a choice between Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray. It's hard to decide. Sorry. Brady Quinn. Did I hear Brady Quinn in the answer? Oh, Tom Brady. Oh, yeah. See, now we got a debate. So, listen, there's debates about that. Here's my question for you this morning. Who is the GOAT disciple of Jesus? Who is the greatest of all time disciple? Do you know that is an appropriate question? Maybe you say, well, that's too big of a scope. What if we reduced it to just the number of people that are in this room right now, in the four walls that is this room? Who is the greatest disciple? Who is the greatest disciple in this room? If we lined everybody up from the greatest to least, who would be at the head of the line? Are you thinking? I mean, look around the room. You're, you're allowed to look. Look around the room. Who do you think is the greatest? Go ahead and look. Now, now so, some of you may be looking around and you're going... I mean, I'm looking around the room. I... It could be me. Listen, if you're thinking that it's you, I guarantee you it's not, okay? You've disqualified yourself if you thought of yourself, okay? Because what we're going to learn from Jesus today is who he says you are. You are not who you think you are. And if you want to be the greatest, you have to become 
like a child. And we're going to see that here in the passage this morning. Got four points for you this morning. I'm going to throw the first point at you before I read it. Here it is. Greatness is exemplified by Jesus's work on the cross. Let's pick up the story. Luke chapter 9, verse 43. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. I hope that sentence describes what just happened in the first 30 minutes of this worship service. I mean, I hope that you were so astonished at the majesty of God, it melted your face off as you were singing about this good God that meets us in the middle of our need. That's what had been happening through the first nine chapters of Luke. You could say that's a summary statement of everything that we've been studying. Everybody was astonished at the majesty of God on display in Jesus Christ. But while they were marveling at everything he was doing, remember the things that he was doing? What was he doing? He was healing the sick. He was feeding 5,000. He was casting out demons. He was raising the dead. I mean, while they were marveling at simultaneous, don't miss anything in the language of Scripture here. While they were marveling, while their heads were exploding with the power and the authority and the greatness of the majesty of Jesus. Notice what Jesus said to his disciples, verse 44. Let these words sink into your ears. Stop right there. What Jesus is about to say cannot remain in the shallow parts of your heart. What Jesus is about to say must sink. It must have such weight that it goes down into the very controlling parts of your heart. Because what Jesus is about to say is going to seem contradictory to everything they have been marveling at. What is he about to say? Let these words sink into your ears. Here it is. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Why? To show the greatest act of humility in the history of the world. You think raising the dead is great? You think getting healed of sickness is great? You think casting out demons is great? Let these words sink down deep into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Do you understand? Jesus had entrusted his life into the hands of God. And the hands of God the Father are about to deliver God the Son into the hands of men. And we know what the hands of men are going to do to Jesus. The hands of men are going to nail the hands of Jesus to a cross. 
in torture and in pain. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be spat upon. His beard is going to be yanked out. His back is going to be whipped. There's going to be a sword go through his side. He's going to be delivered into the evil hands of men. Why? To show the greatest act in human history as Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for sinners like you and me. The God who came from heaven, embodied himself in a man, is about to be mistreated. He's about to be misunderstood. He's about to yield his rights to be worshiped. He's not going to defend. He's not going to argue. He's going to lay his life down for those of us who are needy. Jesus is going to elevate the needs of others in front of himself. Let these words sink deep down into your ears. Let's see if that happened for the disciples. Verse 45. But they did not understand this saying. Does that surprise anybody? Do you know these guys well enough by now to know they're a little hard of hearing? They're a little difficult for them to understand things? It says, they didn't understand this saying and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it and they were afraid to ask him about this. Not only did they not understand... They were afraid to ask Jesus to help them understand. Were you ever that guy in class that was just a little behind everybody else in the class when the teacher was explaining something on the whiteboard and you didn't understand, but you were too afraid to embarrass yourself and lift your hand? It's like, I, you know what? I don't have any fear of anybody thinking I'm stupid, but I don't quite understand. No, what happens to most of us? We let pride kind of take over. It's like, I don't want anybody to think I don't understand, so I'm going to pretend like I understand, but I'm, I'm going to flunk the test. And then I'm really going to understand that I don't understand. Right? So, was, it, was I the only one? Was I the only one that dealt with that? That's what these guys are thinking. They're afraid to look stupid. They're afraid to humble themselves and appear to be weak. So they zipped up and they pretended like they understood. Let's find out if they understood. Here's the second point. Greatness is determined by the depth of my humility. Greatness is determined by the depth of my humility. So, Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. My hands are going to be nailed. I'm going to put your life in front of my life. I'm not going to defend. Greatest act of humility in human history. Next verse, verse 46. And an argument arose among them about which one was the greatest. Well, of course. I mean, it, that's exactly the response that the disciples should have to the message of the cross, right? To like break out into an argument. I mean, all the other disciples were gathering around, fight, 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 right? It's like, it's junior high. We are in junior high discipleship right now, okay? So these guys are fighting with each other about who is the greatest. Maybe one of them, you know, you remember the story that we were in last week, right? The, the guys were going up the mountain of transfiguration. Do you remember Jesus didn't take all 12? He, how many did he take? 
He took three, left the other nine behind. Well, surely those wouldn't have been the greatest, right? Because those were remedial disciples. And so maybe it's among the three. So uh, Peter, James, and John must have been busting out in a fight about who the greatest was. And maybe Peter says, well, I've got the greatest knowledge of Jesus. Maybe James says, well, I've got the greatest surrender. And maybe John said, well, I, I made the greatest sacrifice in coming anyway. And so maybe they're, they're comparing their accomplishments and their greatness to see who is at the head of the line. Verse 47, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, does this scare you a little bit that Jesus knows the reasonings of your heart? Because are sometimes the reasonings of your heart like not things you would like to know, Jesus to know? Yeah, well, he knows those things. And you think, well, if he knew me, he wouldn't like me and he would probably not pay any attention to me. Not true. As a matter of fact, Jesus knew the reasoning of their heart. Do you know what he did? He loved them, he cared for them, and he tried to help them understand. Notice, it says, he took a child, put him by his side, and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me, for he who is least among you is the one who is great. Do you understand Jesus did not rebuke them for their desire to be great? Jesus wants you to have an ambition to be great. I want to be a great disciple. I want you to be the GOAT disciple of all time. To aspire to greatness is something Jesus doesn't rebuke. He just redefines what it means to be great. To be great means you have to become like a little child. But the problem is, is our hearts break out into arguments all the time about how great we are. That's what the disciples were doing. Inside my heart, there is an argument for my greatness. I, in a sense, I just, it's the broken part of me. It's the pride deep down on the inside. I stand before Jesus and I'm like, I'm pretty great, don't you think, Jesus? I mean, look at me. Because, I mean, if you compare me to all the other people in the room, I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And we want to argue for our greatness. But listen, the cross of Jesus Christ argues against my greatness. If there was any greatness in me, the cross would be unnecessary. The cross shouts, I'm not great. Who does Jesus say I am? Not great. Not great. You want to be great, you have to redefine your definition of greatness. Pride is a disease that lives on the inside of me that is only treated and cured at the cross. And at the cross, nobody's great. You come to the cross, you set your face on the cross, you focus on the cross, and it shouts to you, you should humble yourself in the presence of the greatest act of humility that's ever been done in human history. So Jesus pulls a child beside him and uses the child as an illustration of what we should be like. Now, there is a difference between childishness and childlikeness. How many of you have noticed a child being childish? Don't be like that. That's selfish. That's what Jesus is trying to get us from. But childlikeness is humble, dependent, vulnerable, and 
needy. And that's what we are in the presence of Jesus. And that's why if you don't have any children in your life that you're intersecting with, that's why maybe one of the greatest acts of your own discipleship would be to serve in children's ministry. Not to disciple children so that the children would disciple you and convince you of how needy you are. Because if you don't think you're needy, you step into a room of two-year-olds, you are needy. You need Jesus and the Holy Spirit and help, right? I mean, and you're like, Jesus, help me. Yeah, it puts you in a place of dependence. And Jesus uses this child to help illustrate that. Back in the first century, children had no value. They had no significance or value or worth. And so Jesus elevates a child and says, you want to be great, you got you to gotta receive a child. you got to be the least. True greatness elevates others. True greatness fights for the bottom so that you can support others. I want to be great. Does that, that disturb you at all? Like, I don't know if I told my, my friend at Walmart that my pastor wanted to be great, they would think that was a virtue. No, it is a virtue. I want to be the goat of disciples. I want to be great at being the least. I want to be great at putting the needs of others, especially my wife, ahead of myself. I want to be great at setting others up to win. I want to be great at putting others in a position to thrive. I want to be great about talking about the greatness of others, not the greatness of me. I want to be great at being unknown. I want to be great at being ignored. I want to be great at being forgotten. I want to be great at being misunderstood. I want to be great at being insulted. I want to be great at being slandered. I don't know about you. I am not great at those things. But I aspire to grow as a disciple because the depth of my greatness is determined by the depth of my humility. You know what a disciple says? I want to be great at being crucified. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. How are you doing at that? That's what God calls us to. Not to argue with ourselves about our greatness. Here's the third thing. Greatness is revealed when I don't demand that everyone do things my way. Let's see what happens next. Let's see if the disciples are gaining some understanding. Jesus, okay, here's a child. You need to be like the child. Be like the least. All right, so John steps up in verse 49. Let's see if he figures it out. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. Now, what would you expect to come next for a great disciple? I think a great disciple would have said, we were so happy. We were so glad that we weren't the only ones fighting with the devil. We, we, we gathered around and we prayed and, and we even took notes on how they cast them out. Let's, let, let's see if that happened. Um, John says, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. Uh, no, John, you, you don't quite understand. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, do not stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. So they, they still don't understand here. 
Um, I spent this week in Oklahoma with my mom. So I told you my mom fell, she broke her ankle, brought her home and got her settled this week in her home. And uh, so last night I flew back here in anticipation of being with you this morning. I got um, at the airport about uh, 1030. My daughter picked me up. About 11 o'clock last night, we came into my neighborhood. And when we came into my neighborhood, I noticed my very quiet neighborhood had been turned into a block party at one house. And there was a drunken um, rock concert going on in the backyard of one of my neighbors. Um, the reason I'm sharing this with you, I'm quite sure they're not in church this morning. So um, unless there was great repentance that happened at some point between oh, about one o'clock last night and this morning, I, had, I don't know about my neighbors. I, I want my neighbors to come to church, but I don't, they were having church last night. Um, and, and the song that was blaring through my neighborhood at 11 o'clock last night when I drove in was a song I remember hearing back when I was a teenager. It was running with with the devil. Some of you started like nodding your head when I was going like, like, I'm not sure, are we okay here? So I, I couldn't wait to get to church this morning to do what we did to like drown out what I was hearing last night at 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock and one o'clock in the morning as this was going on. I mean, there was just a spirit of darkness in the neighborhood last night. And I was praying, you know. Now listen, last night, if there was some other neighbor that like joined with me in praying against the darkness, and if there was some other neighbor that went over and started like casting out demons out of my neighbor or the neighbor's backyard, I, I would not have cared if they were using the right-handed demon casting technique or the left-handed demon casting technique. It wouldn't have mattered to me if they were male or female, black or white, rich, poor. It wouldn't have mattered if, if they were uh, Wolverine, Irish. It just wouldn't have mattered because I would have just been glad to know I wasn't the only one fighting the devil in my neighborhood last week. But these disciples are so arrogant, they think they're the only ones they can fight the devil. You can't, you can't be just like going up and like casting out demons in Jesus' name because you're not part of the 12. You're, 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 you can't do that. You see what pride and arrogance will do? It makes you have a spirit of elitism. And it makes you very critical of people who don't do things exactly like you do things. I mean, you, you can't be singing like that song at that decibel level because that was written by some other church that we don't, we've got some theological difference with that other church and over there. And like church governance, you can't go to that church because they govern things differently or men, the, the way they practice the ordinances and different things like that. Listen, listen, listen. You know what Jesus is trying to say here? There's going to be an increasing population that is against us as Christians. If you believe in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you believe in the authority of the Bible, you can be on my team, okay? 
We fight together. We can lock arms. That's why I'm so glad we have partnerships. Gospel City Church partners with other people because we need help. We can't do it all by ourselves. I love that we have partnered in in the Great Commission Collective, like-minded churches that are committed to church planting. We're, We're leveraging our new relationship with the North American Mission Board so we can accelerate church planting around here and um, life plan, pregnancy care center, transformation ministries to get us into some of the places that we would naturally intersect with in our community. We need each other. And so if you are the person that thinks that you have to be the demon casting police or the worship police or, or the preaching police, especially like on social media, like you got no guts at all like to walk up to somebody and talk to them, but man, you are a brave person on Twitter, then you need to take a lesson from Jesus here because greatness is revealed when I don't demand that everyone do everything my way. Humility values diversity. Humility is the antidote to division in the church. Humility is the antidote to gossip and slander in the church. Humility believes I can't do it all by myself. And yet John and apparently these disciples had such a spirit of elitism, they thought, us two, not you. Us four, no more. You've got to be one of us in order to do it. Humility doesn't do that. Greatness is revealed when I don't demand that everyone do things my way. Here's the last thing. Greatness refuses to scorch people in need of compassion. Let's see if they're learning their lesson. Maybe it'll get better. Verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, That's a reference to the resurrection and the ascension where Jesus would ascend back to the right hand of the Father. Those days were drawing near. Jesus' earthly ministry was on a countdown clock. And as he set his face toward Jerusalem, notice that's the next thing it says. As the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Verse 51 is a turning point in the Gospel of Luke. At this point on, everything Jesus would do would be headed toward the cross. Every step he would take would be headed toward the place of crucifixion in Jerusalem. This would not be his first journey to to Jerusalem. It would be his last journey to Jerusalem. He set his face. Do you know what that means? He stared intently at the work of the cross that he had to accomplish for sinners like you and me. He stared at the injustice of the cross. He stared at the crown of thorns. He stared at the nails that would go through his hands. Why would he do that? Listen, all for the purpose of absorbing the scorching fire of God's judgment on behalf of sinners like you and me. Jesus set his face. He would be unhindered. He would be undeterred. He would be undistracted from the work that that God the Father had called him to do. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Verse 52. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans. See the word Samaritan there? Let's talk about the Samaritans. Who were these people? Well, they weren't Jewish. 
They weren't Gentile. They were a mix. Centuries before this time, the northern kingdom of Israel had been invaded by the nation of Assyria. And with those troops, they inhabited that land over the centuries. They intermarried. They produced children and generations of half-breed people, Gentile and Jew. And the Samaritans were the population of people there that still were living in the northern region of Israel. The Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. This was the most intense racism that you can imagine. And Jesus, a Jew, sent 12 Jewish men into the village of the Samaritans to make preparations. Verse 50, the second part of verse 52, to make preparations for him, verse 53. But the people did not receive him. Lots of people don't receive Jesus. Why didn't they receive him? Now, I want you to notice, Luke tells us specifically why they didn't receive him. The reason they didn't receive him was not because he was Jewish. Notice why they didn't receive him. Because his face was set toward Jerusalem. You know what Luke is telling us there? Think back to the nine chapters we've already read and, and studied. What did Jesus do every time he entered a village? He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He raised the dead. He cast out the demons. You know what he did? He set his face on the needs of the people around him. And he made their lives easier by the time he left. And do you know what the people did? They received him. They received him because he made their lives easier. They received him because of all the good and generous things he did for them. But what did the people do when he didn't? They didn't receive him. Because they didn't understand the greatest thing he could possibly do for them was what he was about to do in Jerusalem in dying on the cross in their place as a substitute for their sin to absorb the scorching fire of God's wrath on their sin. So when he didn't do anything tangible or immediate or physical, they had no use for him. Question, you have any use for Jesus if he doesn't heal your sickness? Do you have any use for Jesus if he doesn't make your life easier? Is it enough for you that he went to Jerusalem and had nails driven through his hands on behalf of you to atone for your sin? Is that enough for you? Or do you only receive him when he makes your life easier? The Samaritans didn't receive him because his face was set on Jerusalem. The cross in Jerusalem. So let's see how the disciples respond to these Samaritans. Because, you know, they're learning these lessons in humility. Verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Does that sound humble to you? Does it sound compassionate and caring? No. They're still learning their lesson. And so Jesus... In verse 55, has to rebuke them. He turned and rebuked them and 
they went on to another village. Apparently they forgot what Jesus told them back up in verse 5 of chapter 9, that if you enter a village and they don't receive you, shake the dust from your feet and move on. And just entrust them to God. The Samaritans. If the disciples had their way, they would have committed genocide right there on the spot and just annihilated these unbelievers. No second chances, no time for God to work, no time for the Holy Spirit to soften their heart, no praying that God would open their eyes to the power of the gospel. Just anger, hatred, wrath. You make my life harder, so let's just annihilate you. You have any people in your life like that? You just wish you could annihilate them on the spot. You wish you could like call fire down from heaven and consume these people. Yeah, that's because you're not great. That shows a lack of greatness, lack of great humility. Where, where do you think these disciples got this idea of like calling fire down from heaven? Jesus hadn't instructed them on this is the way that you love people. Where did they get that idea? Where had James and John just been? Mount of Transfiguration? Who showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration? Remember Elijah? They must have been having their devotions that morning in 2 Kings chapter 1. Because in 2 Kings chapter 1 it tells about how Elijah called fire down from heaven and it consumed this, this wicked king and his people. And they said, this is a great idea. I mean, we want to be Bible-based Christians, right? We, 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 we need to make sure what we're doing, we have a verse attached to it, right? Do you understand? These guys had great passion. They had a great Bible story. And yet they did not have great humility. Do you understand how dangerous you are? When you have great passion, a great Bible verse, and you lack great humility... You're the most dangerous disciple on the planet. The rest of us could get scorched by you. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not the way we do things. Jesus had already announced this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is a year of grace and compassion. We're opening up the gospel to all who will believe and you can be saved. And guys, I've been trying to tell you all along about the cross. I'm going to the cross to absorb the scorching fire of God so the Samaritans don't have to. And do you understand you and I are the Samaritans worthy of the fire of God? falling and scorching all of us. We, we deserve all of that. But if Jesus had acted on the advice of James and John, the story that we read about in John chapter 4 never would have happened. Do you remember the woman at the well? Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. And it was at the, at the well. Do you remember that Jesus offered her something? What did he offer her? Living water. Talk to James and John. You get fire. Talk to Jesus. You get water. Some of you are here today and you're like taking a risk being in church because you've been scorched by some not great disciples. 
on behalf of the not great disciples of the world, I apologize for the lack of humility that we so, so hard for us to learn. But I got good news. You, you can bypass the disciples and you can go to Jesus. He's got water. He's got living water. There's compassion, there's grace, there's love, there's provision there. And so don't let a not great disciple keep you from Jesus. The woman at the well didn't. Understand that greatness refuses to scorch people in need of compassion because we know that the Son of God has been scorched in our place. Why don't you stand with me right now? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. And would you just take a moment there? What, what would the Lord say to you right now? Do you want to be great? You can be, but you've got to be willing to become the least. You've got to understand the purpose of the cross. You've got to go to the cross, set your face on the cross. Listen, are you willing to spend your life elevating others and fight for the bottom? Are you willing to be unknown, ignored, misunderstood, mistreated? That's where the greatness is. Aren't you tired of excluding everybody that doesn't do it your way? That's why you don't have any friends. That's why you can't partner with anybody. That's why nobody gets along with you. Why don't you humble yourself and recognize you, you need... You need help. You can't do it all alone. Don't annihilate people that get in your way. Patience, compassion. And right now, if you've never come to the cross, humbled yourself, recognizing there is no argument for your greatness before God. The cross argues against you and says you need great sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf. If you'll receive him by faith, you can be saved. You can have a fresh start, new beginning, and that can be the first step in your journey to true greatness. Jesus, thank you for teaching us this morning. And Lord, we do humble ourselves and recognize how arrogant we can be to somehow stand before you and think that we are greater than we are. Lord, change us. I pray that we would leave out of here today offering the good news of the gospel to those all around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we sing this chorus together?